the new improved sound quality of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, L5rshop.com puts it in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, a podcast about card games, board games, and role-playing games with a focus on the Legend of the Five Rings universe. You can download additional episodes of this podcast via iTunes or on our website, www.strangeassembly.com. While you're there, you can check out our main page or stop in and say hi on the forums. You can also follow those main page updates on Facebook or Twitter. Any comments or criticisms can be directed to Chris at strangeassembly.com. Enjoy the show. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, episode 36. Episode 36 was recorded on Sunday, August 21st, 2011. It was recorded at the same time as the Gen Con conversation in episode 35, so you may want to listen to them together. Episode 36 features Kevin, Trevor, Justin, Jay, and I discussing the fallout from Gen Con, including the 5-2 cut system and the recent bannings and errata in the CCG. We also discuss recent storyline developments and the Solving the Riddle charity tournament series, which will be taking place in October of this year. Also included in episode 36 is the Strange Assembly audio review of Ninja, Legend of the Scorpion Clan. Okay, in addition to our dreadfully boring, apparently, uh, Gen Con experience, (laughs) there have been some other goings-on here. For this segment, we uh, kicked out Mr. Big Beans and brought Jay on to the mic. Hooray! So, of course, one of the things that has happened in uh, L5R as a result of Gen Con and sort of not as a result of Gen Con was that there have been an errata and a banning. Force of Shunamit has been errated so it doesn't work with Oni's or Goblin anymore. Which I think means it just doesn't work because I don't think you can make a functional deck out of all the non-humans. Well, you can actually make a deck full of Unaligned, non-Shadowlands, non-humans. You got like two ratlings. Working on my snow maiden deck, guys. (laughs) That's she has honor requirement. Yes, they have honor requirements. But you have two ratlings. You've got three non-unique Naga, and then the one unique, and then there's like one of those hound spirits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
And then just throw Tamago in the deck or something and, you know. Well, no, because he's... Tamago's got the zero. Oh, I don't... Oh, yeah, that's true. They said negative one. Yeah, right. that's that's what he's saying. No, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Tama- yeah. I didn't know he Tamago has a zero, now. therefore you can't play him. I mean, you can put him in the was deck, but you can't bring him into play. <laughs> yes, point, we, let's, let's say if we're talking about Pinecki, whether or not, not something's zombie. tournament playable, that is not that. Well, yeah. but zombie Pinecki is Shadowlands, and he's not non-human. I mean, you can put other stuff in the deck that doesn't put, work put with Kuan your cards. In. Put Kwan in. I hear he's good. <laughs> <laughs> so you had Force of Shinnaman was a flat-out power level errata because it's you, absurd. Stupid, lots and yeah, lots you can't of have half every of turn. top eights at. Gen Con and like multiple tournaments all being won by yeah. the same deck. The other thing was the banning of Wrath of Kalima. Now, this didn't go very well because they said Wrath of Kalima is not being banned for power level reasons. Wrath of Kalima is being banned for story reasons because of the results of the last mega game. They were aware, obviously, when they were writing it, that that was going to sound kind of odd because... The game they, ended in January? Well, it was going to be weird because the Mega Game didn't just end, and it was coming out after a Wrath of Kalimaw featuring deck had just stomped. Yeah. But they knew it was going to sound weird because there's kind of like language in there that's, that's uh, if I may paraphrase, we swear. It's just a coincidence yeah. that we're announcing this Seriously, after Gen Con. I think that both moves are are fine. I'd rather have them happen than not. I that's, generally tend that's a gift horse. I'm not going to look in the mouth. I'll take the banning. Yeah, I and they are on the side of if that deck is probably just too good, then yeah, sure, go ahead and fix something. However, I think that the reasons that they gave for banning Kalima were flub. One, there are some people who think that that like Reese is lying or something when they posted that up. I don't think Reese is that dumb. Yeah. Because no. why on earth would they make that up if that wasn't the reason? Yeah, if they're doing one errata, why not just... Because, yeah, yeah why yeah. wouldn't you just ban it? Because you then just... And they knew kind of looked weird saying it like that. I think that you could totally justify banning Wrath of Kalima on power reasons. And I think that's what they should have just done. Even if, you know, they decided three years ago or two years ago or whenever it was printed that they were going to ban Wrath of Kalima if... She lost she lost the mega game, they should have thrown that out and just banned it for power reasons because you've now wasted the possibility of doing this unexpected I'm banning a card for story reasons because it lost all cool factor by being lumped in there. Now all of a sudden all the conversation almost became about the whys behind it. Yeah, why is is AEG making something up and like you mentioned, Trevor, the fact that the mega game ended like eight months ago. Yeah, and then banning for story reasons seems a slippery slope too. What gets yeah. through, well, what doesn't? I think it was kind of like it's obviously a bit of a unique situation because this isn't like Kuan died. Let's ban him. I mean, this was you know a big mega game kind of result. But I'm kind of giving it the benefit of the doubt, and what I think probably happened was they were maybe tossing around the idea of. You know, maybe we should just get rid of this or Fooling's guidance, let's say, depending on results. And then while they were tossing the idea around and saying maybe we should do it, it destroys the tournament and they're like, maybe this is a really, really good idea. Well, Fooling's guidance, Fooling died anyway and his guidance he died is anyway, still but, around. But, you know. But well, I also generally don't like the idea of story banning. Not that it would necessarily be problem in a singular circumstance, but 
it sort of leaves the door open for more random sort of things. And it's yeah. not that they haven't done it before. They, with, is it Coton? Mm-hmm. It was the uh, crab, the Yasuki no Palaces. Yeah, it was a crab crane. crane. Yeah. yeah, it was a crab crane stronghold. Oh, and it's also a Palace of the Breaking Dawn. Or, no, that the was other way. to be crab only. Well, it something. got MRP yeah. to be the faction that won. Oh. Whatever that, but that that was the design. I think that was known in advance yes. when that was first printed. That at some point later on, depending on how the Yasuki went, it would change what the the faction of it was. The other thing that they potentially could have done with this, and I don't know why they didn't. If you knew you were going to ban her, why didn't they announce it at Gen Con? You could have started yeah. off the main event yeah. by saying. Row. Guess what? Yeah. This yeah. is your last chance to use Wrath of Kalima because yeah. this is the end of the arc. She's been defeated because of the Megan. We're getting it just mishandled in in its presentation the way that they did. I think that they should have yeah. just said we're going to ban it for power level reasons. Never even mentioned the story thing. Keep that in your your quiver for some later big result that you want to do, and, and you can have more of a a wow factor. And then now there's an entire discussion on the forums about whether or not they should do this sort of thing for other cards, you know, have things get killed off because of storyline results. I think no, I think that's a bad idea. I think if they do, it should be like this, where it's a huge mega game result and not like small tournaments here and there banning cards or something like that. Yeah, a small tournament thing would never happen. Yeah, and certainly not the, as some people, like you mentioned, with with Kuon, yes, now Kuon is not legal because he's not in the story. I would almost think it should be cards that are designed in advance. Mm-hmm. And I could also see you you know, having things that were like the Yasuki Palaces where it was intentionally, yeah. uh, there's two sets of options. Yeah, they let you know beforehand. And, and one of them is going to be gone and one of them is going to stay around, I which mean, also saves you for playtesting and game design. I think it would have been fine. Another situation is like when they had the, the four wins thing going on. You know, maybe if they said beforehand, you know, throw your support behind this. We're going to ban three of them, depending on who wins or loses, you know? I mean, obviously, it's not exactly the same situation, but that's the kind of situation where I think banning for story reasons makes sense. Yeah, it it, it has to be something substantial. I think I kind of lean towards the side of not doing it even then. Mm. But what do you think, Jay? I mean, I I think it should be give, give you some lead time. I mean, like, Let's say for the sake of argument that the the Kalima had been not banned because Kalima lost, but because Jogoku failed. If in the the fight between Jogoku and the Empire on the Spider side, that was one of the things that was known in contention that if Jogoku lost, imagine how many people might be fighting harder for one side or the other if they know a card ban is in the works, not just story effects. Raise the stake. Yeah, exactly. And uh, oh, you know what we. Probably should maybe I should break this out into its own segment, but I think we're gonna have enough separate segments in this. Solving the riddle is going to come back for the fourth year again this October. Man, that must be a really tough riddle. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's it actually called is. cancer. <laughs> it is in fact a hard nut to crack, Jay. <laughs> Jesus, dude. <laughs> what the I <laughs> There will also be something up on the Strange Assembly website which will point you to the AEG forums because we do, in fact, get more traffic on the AEG forums, it turns out, than uh, our own website. Just and I'd like to centralize it in a location that more people are looking at. It, like I said, this is the fourth year. It is 
what I call a, a global charity event, I think is what I usually yes. tag mm-hmm. it. There is no overarching story resolved from AEG this year, but throughout the month of October, NETO can contact me, Chris, at strangeassembly.com, and, or one of my other email addresses if you have them, and let me know that you want to run one. You just run a normal old tournament. You have a you know $10 entry fee or local currency equivalent, whatever. And the money raised goes towards the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, which is the leading, at least in the United States, I guess I don't know if there's an international one, uh, pancreatic, yeah, I don't know, uh, pancreatic cancer charity. There will be more information up on the Strange Assembly website and the AG forums about the charity. The winner of each of those tournaments after the fact will receive a custom prize, which I think is going to be playmats this year. I haven't done playmats before because I of their history with L5R and I usually don't let my opponents play with playmats anyway. So you're allowed to. At least one of them. But yes. But yeah. well people uh Frank gave them away at the the Florida yeah, Cote yeah. this year and people seem to really like them, so I'm relenting. And I promise you I will not make you put away your stra- your uh solving the riddle playmat should you want. It'll be something, you know, it'll have a nice picture, and it'll say, Solving the Riddle 2011 Tournament Winner. They're made after the fact, because then I have exactly as many made as there yeah. were tournament winners, so you are the, that's the only way you'll ever be able to get one of these. It can be a, a nifty little thing. Tell your TO to email Chris. Yes, and you can either, what the entry fees from the tournament go towards, uh, the, sorry, AEG is not putting up an overall story prize, but you can run any storyline event as a solving the riddle tournament should you so choose. You just have to have, you know, some or all of the the entry fees go towards the charity. If it's if it's just like a ten dollar entry fee, then okay, that's going to the charity. If you're running a a big jeweled event or favorite event or something, and that's going to charity, and you're charging twenty five bucks to get in, Double you don't. Head. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to send all of that off to the the charity, but. Uh, Strange Assembly is going to offer up a prize for the clan that collects the most. Can you call it a prize? It's, I can call it that. It may <laughs> mean, it, it, the, the listeners will have to judge for themselves what it is. The clan that, that donates the most will get it. If all of the entry fee donations go towards whoever wins the tournament, their clan gets it. Whatever clan they were playing at the tournament separately, People can can donate money individually. We'll have the details up about how to make sure that I know it's getting donated. But And then you can give it to whatever clan that you want. Whichever clan wins, the entirety of the Strange Assembly cast at the next storyline tournament that each of us plays in, we will play the clan of... Play the, we will play the winning clan. So if Scorpion... Wins it all. Kevin will have to play Scorpion. Uh, I'd make the same kind of joke about how you can make Trevor play Lion by having Lion winning, but he already did that to himself. <laughs> worked out for them so far. So, but that... So I, I would actually hold back and research a deck. I wouldn't play it right away. I would get something that I actually have a There's chance. There's something. Yeah. Yeah, but when I think that would be... Probably be a new art. Okay. 
because this is we know the end of October it'd be New Arc anyway, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we wouldn't know until the end. Of, yeah, so it would be something in the New Arc. I don't. Is any of us going to something in November? Because October includes worlds. Uh, November, or sorry, includes November. Euros. Yeah, I don't think of anything in November off the top of my head. So yeah, if we happen to go to something, it may not be till next Cote season, but each member of the cast will you know play your crab or play ponies or or whatever. But yes, like, like Trevor said, you can consider that a prize or not. Take your pick. Yeah, I mean it's up in the air. Yeah, I mean solving the riddle has over the last three years. I'm even I'm losing track at this point. It's somewhere north of fifteen thousand dollars over the last three years because L five R players rock and that's pretty uh, awesome. So that's solving the riddle. So that's our positive note where I get to talk like I'm an uplifting person. And then we can talk about like the end of the C E storyline arc where I turn into Bam. A, Don't uh, mix uppers uh, and downers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> A less cheerful person. So, uh, we had the 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 story team interview. Having listened to the story team interview, what do you guys think about you know how Celestial Edition went and how it ended? You know, in light of what the actual end of arc stories were and what the actual story team interview was, because I know we talked about this a little bit earlier in the year. Like I know what. I listened to the story team interview, but I already kind of posted my feelings and they didn't change very much after that, which is pretty much, I know that the spider clan had to get this story to become a major clan and all that, as was promised from the last mega game, but for the most part, this arc, it basically felt like, you know, spider clan story with eight clans along for the ride. Or how awesome the spider clan was. Oh man, uh, the lion and unicorn patrol was in trouble, but then the spider showed up and helped them. And they won. I, I think the biggest feeling for me was I didn't care what happened because I knew it would happen. So whatever I did mm. to try to change it wouldn't make a difference in the long run. Well, I don't... But on the other hand, you got a monkey, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Trevor's like, where's another bear? You gotta feed it to the monkey, Chris. Didn't you read that? You have to feed it to the monkey. Oh, I'm going to uh, start having to take some of the strange assembly donations to restock my alcohol at this rate. <laughs> oh. uh, but, yeah, I don't think anybody will be surprised to learn that I did not like the end of Celestial Edition. I'm shocked. Really, but really did not like the end of Celestial Edition. See, uh, I, I didn't even hate the Kampuku gang until the last story. I, they, they were standable. The, yeah. I like the Kampuku gang. I mean, they weren't fantastic or anything, but they actually did stuff that involved moving yeah. the plot forward. And now it was just ridiculous. Uh, oh, yeah, they can fall over and die for no reason. That's yeah, <laughs> cool. I think that the big culminating thing was like, I wasn't a big fan when I got to the end of Goddesses Part 3, but, you know, it was okay, okay, we're seeing what's going on here. And four it's, was just... it's a little excessively uh, Daigatsu-centric. Uh, yeah, but he's going to die, so I'm okay with it at the end. I honestly, I do not understand why they did it like they did. And the story team will, the story team will answer questions about whether or not they uh, mess things up when it's in the context of we didn't portray what we were trying to portray well enough. They'll acknowledge mm -hmm. that. But it's not like Reese will be like, yeah, we just messed up. I mean, the story team is never going to say, yeah, we just shouldn't have done that. Right. And I don't know that they would. That. Yeah, and I don't know, and that, I don't they, know that they, they would, would or want would, to say you know? that here. I get why they wouldn't say that, but I 
have no comprehension of why they made Daigatsu become a god when he killed himself. I just don't get it. It's, there are so many things wrong with it from a storytelling point of view. The story arc of bad guy does bad things, doesn't really lose. Oh, look, I win and I'm a god. It wasn't just that he didn't lose. It was more like, it felt like whenever he lost, it he won anyway. back around and it was a win anyway. Or someone else lost. When he lost at the end of gold, it wasn't really Daigatsu losing. It was Fulang yeah. screwing up. It's like I read through all seven Harry Potter novels, and then at the end, do that? Draco kills Voldemort and becomes the new Dark Lord. <laughs> I, that, spoiler alert, just in case. <laughs> spoiler alert! <laughs> Harry Potter does not end with Draco Malfoy killing <laughs> Voldemort. What a surprise. Does it? <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, he could die, and like everything that you had happen... You could have still had happened with Daigatsu just killing himself. And then he just yeah. dies, and that's the end. Yeah. But wait, there's more. Jay mentioned with the white knighting, we even did a little segment on here, odds makers or whatever, yeah. specifically about what were the chances that the Celestial Edition storyline was going to end up with, with the spider white knighting in. And, and the reason... Everything that people don't like about that fiction was foreseeable. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything oh, no, no, about no, no. it was stuff. Not in that aspect. It was even more over the top. What I mean, yeah. but yeah, who yeah, knew yeah. it was going to go over nine thousand? No, none of that. I would think that if you're the story team writing this fiction, all of the criticisms that people level about this are at core a lot of the same criticisms that they had leveled before. It was just that now the thing that they're criticizing is on a much N- now exists. Yeah. 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 On a much bigger scale it almost makes me wonder if at least in this or in other stuff there's a they have a bit of a bunker mentality you know rusty comes on and he says oh this is i think this is the best l5r story like arc ever and one of the things he sort really? of yes oh I and one of the one. things that he what that he says is because we just told a story and it's great how Sean was, you know, brave enough to just tell the story that needed to be told, even if people aren't going to like it. I'm like, you shouldn't do that. You actually want should want to tell a story that relative to why that, did it need to be told? Well, well, I mean, I think yeah. it, from a storytelling perspective, it was that it was a an overall story. Like the part of the problem was that it wasn't really that much of a story because Daigatsu's not a protagonist really in the story, even though. You've made the Spider Clan. He's still primarily an antagonist character. Yeah. That's why they say Dark Fortune is one of their names. Uh, yeah. yeah. And not that being popular equates with being, you Good. know, high quality, yeah. but there, there's a reason why. Oh, we can talk about Weka later. Good guys. Well, that basically ties into this. There's a reason why <laughs> when you watch movies and you read books, Generally, both the protagonist and the the protagonist is a good guy, and the good guys and the protagonist wins in some way. And that's even more so true in something like L5R. It's one thing to watch a two hour movie that's about somebody just getting beat down, and versus investing years of real life time into a story going and to then tournaments in 40 degree weather without a shirt on with a dragon tattoo on your back well that's that's going into the awaka <laughs> thing again the the other long-term problem i have with how this has gone down and i think is a long-term problem for the story team too is that 
it messes up Iweko. It messes up the race because... Just look at the forums. A lot of the stuff now, it's not turned to is goddesses for a bad story, which almost every non-Spider player thinks that it is. Not just on the forums, but I didn't even go up to anybody and try to talk about this at Gen Con because I didn't want to, but I did not hear a person say a positive word. I mean, I'm about Goddesses Part 4 at Gen Con. I'm sure someone was there and yeah, someone yeah. did, but all I heard about it was negative stuff. The six people who liked it must have been the ones who went and talked to the story team about liking it. And that's why I sort of worry about like you know a confirmation bias or a, a bunker mentality with regards to the story. It is absolutely true that the internet, people's opinions on the internet are more negative. Oh, yeah. And... Sure. Part of that is because people actually can be more honest. And a lot of the they're more negative is not just that it's not just about what percentage of people are negative, it's about how much people are willing to say. And if you're a business and you're Netflix and the negative thing that people don't like is that you're charging them more money, you care but not that much because they're still mostly paying you more money. But there's no real upside to L5R or AEG for people not liking story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of what sells the game. Yeah, there's... There can be reasons, for example, even in the CCG, and what even in the story, there can be reasons for people not to like story. There are times when bad things have to happen in order to set up an yeah, overall sure. more satisfying story, but this was the culmination. If people don't like how your story ends, yeah. there's real, really no upside to that. And so I don't know if it's just that they have to talk this way because, you know, that's the, the sort of way that they have to talk when they do public interviews or. If, you know, you just kind of disregard what people say on the forums because it's, oh, it's just the internet. Yeah. And and put too much weight on the people who do come up to you and say positive things. But, well, like I said, with Goddesses Part 4 has turned a lot of people into tremendously anti-Oweco. And this is a problem for me for more than one reason and for the story team for one reason. I, of course, like Justin was talking about, don't like it because... Iweko was the prize for a mega game that was much, much bigger. I mean, it was vastly bigger yeah. than the Empire's Glory. And people fought much harder for that because they actually cared. Which, uh, was was not so much the case for a lot of, uh, other than the spider stuff, for the Empire's Glory, there were a lot of people who just didn't care. Lion yeah. Clan. Well, the Lion Clan cared in yeah, Glory, they, they but... They donated it all. All you had to do, well, no, and I think he's referring to the fact that in honor, oh, yeah. they just didn't earn any points. Well, yeah, wh- whichever ones, wh- whichever one it was, they hit total failure in honor. Yeah, yeah. honor. Yeah, yeah. If if there were like three contests that if they tried, I mean, at all, got like three more points, they would be out oh, of total failure. Yeah, they were close. They did worse in military or sorry in glory than they could have because they were donating everything, uh, all of yeah, their much. points. But honor is actually probably a much better indicator of caring caring yeah because than uh, most of the honor relative st- most of the honor stuff though is the get dressed up and yeah i mean you play decks that of, can't win yeah. and stuff yeah, like well, that I mean, if, if your clan has really good decks like lion did you're going to rack up points yeah from people playing lion decks there were going to be lion points you know lion glory points racked up and they could have kept them yeah, that's uh, what I'm saying. They they didn't. But, so it's a different type yeah. of player thereafter. 
yeah, for the honor, you have to get people to bother to to try at all. But so, like I said, obviously, I as somebody who was one of the people who you know busted his tail for for Weko, I'm not a fan of the fact that this story has been written that all of a sudden makes people hate her. And I don't think that the story team is a big fan of that. I don't think that they want to turn the prize from the big, huge mega game yeah. into uh, I mean, something I that people played, don't like. I haven't been playing very long. I basically started in Samurai, but I don't know that I've seen more people just hating on and bashing on a character than Iweko stuff lately. Well, Aside people, from pe- people will hate and bash on, to some extent, whoever the Emperor is. That is correct. Because... As the I was story used team to mentioned, kind of not being one. So yeah, yeah I mean, the the emperor can't be all that super competent, or, or at least not all that often. Because then he would just resolve all our problems. And hmm. yeah, the other issue is from a long term sense, though, is that clearly, to the extent that people are supposed to feel the way, people are supposed to like Iweko in some way, and you've got the the setting set up where, for the most part. People really, really like Adora Weko. That's been a whole part of the point of the character, which then, you know, and the story prize that was the character, which, which then puts you as a storyteller in a position of either, if you're telling a story and people can't buy into the story, that's a problem. And if you've got a large chunk of players who are reading a fiction and the player goes into it with the opinion that, Iweko is a dishonorable skank who needs to be overthrown or controlled or whatever. And Jerry Springer? <laughs> and the fiction then involves characters being awed by Iweko or thinking positively Iweko or on That makes it harder for the reader to get in, which is bad for the person who's writing the story. Or you can accept that, which is not good. Or you can be like, okay, well, whatever. I guess we'll just have to have people stop liking Iweko in the story, which is not the story that I think they have been planning on telling. I think a lot of it's how they just etched her out, how she always interacts, but you never really see it. How you see the silhouette of what she does whenever her own actions. Yeah, she hasn't had... We've already done that interview. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how fixable or not it is. It's. I, I mean, it's not like they can write a fiction that just says... Yo, this is why Aweko's great, so please readers yeah, yeah. go along with us. I think that the hate on Iweko is in a lot of ways just a knock on of Daigatsu. If you think about before Goddesses Part Four, most of the stuff that people didn't like about Aweko was just, oh, she isn't doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's whatever. That that's kind of inevitable. Now there's this big huge rage and what actually <laughs> she did something. If you look at just Goddesses Part 4, what's the awful deal that she makes in Goddesses Part 4? All that she does in Goddesses Part 4 is that after Daigatsu has become a god and killed Kalima... Alters the deal. Well, he tr- he comes up and he says, Aha, I want you to make my people a great clan now. And Weko's like, uh, no. And then Daigatsu basically says, Well, how about if you make them a great clan... I will drastically reduce the power of the taint with his new godlike powers, yeah, such yeah. that it can no longer affect Rokugani people. Yeah, mm-hmm. unless they want to be tainted, which is an enormous difference. Yeah, it's a big deal, and that is the deal that people are pointing to. Really, when you're talking about the emotion changing, and there's really 
a lot to like in that deal. It's sort of like it's yeah, like that, okay, that, yes, you made a deal with Jagoku, but the deal was and Jagoku, you yeah. will you will hamstring yourself. <laughs> Done. Check. <laughs> what do I sign? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> There's realistically almost nothing lost from her end. I mean, she doesn't lose anything by taking this deal. No. Because you, what are you going to do? Deal. Try to prosecute the spider in the empire and that we've seen how well that's worked over the past couple of years. That's what I say. I mean, when you actually look at the deal itself, I don't really see how the deal itself would have generated the thing. So what you basically have is people... You don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, people who... Hating her is just yes, kind of an you're, Well, yes, except your negotiation yeah. with terrorists is, well... No more terrorism. Yes, yeah. you'll stop being a terrorist. Okay. And you're going to actually get held to that? Yes, okay. But that's negotiating with terrorists if we don't do that. Yeah. America. So I think when you look at a lot of the people who really, really hate it, it was the same people who yeah, hated, hated Daigatsu. Anyway, yeah. 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 And so I think mostly what you have is Daigatsu is now gone, so the people who used to hate on the Spider-Clan are now just hating on Iweko too, because they hated Goddesses Part 4. Not really that particular deal, which was a great deal yeah. for the Empire. Yeah. So Most of the people who hate on it are just kind of, you know, she just shouldn't be dealing with people like that. No, no, no. It's, it's a great deal. But these are the people who are like, we don't, we don't care what the, how great this deal is. We still want to kill the spider. Like, like the crab. Yeah. Thud. Well, thud. Some of the crab. Uh, well, didn't was right. It's a pretty fiction? good deal yes, for the yeah. crab. Yeah, but well, that was yeah, yeah. In, the, in the aftermath. Yeah. Then you have Benjiro saying like, uh, it's no, it pretty awesome pretty thing good for to the me. crab. Yeah. yeah. Slap. Uh, it's a great deal. Yeah. For yeah, the crab is. because they they're the it. ones who live next to the Shadowlands. They can now actually just go into the Shadowlands. And hit it with a stick. They, yeah, I mean they're rattling it, now. Well, yeah, I mean there's still sort of <laughs> oodles and oodles and oodles of nasties out there in the Shadowlands to deal the with. Shadowlands will still but, kill you with twenty foot oni yeah. with huge yes. claws, but but, but you don't be like, oh, I scratched myself on a rock. Oh nuts! Now I'm tainted. Yeah. Especially since it's not. They when really need penicillin. When you're <laughs> when you're protecting <laughs> people from the taint, that's your soul, not just your body, which is a much greater importance yeah. in Rokugani. So I guess I hope that the story team is able to do something with the greater freedom that they have over the time jump. Those, to yeah. All the EE preview fictions from Gen Con, I think were all well-received. So something well, to look I mean, forward guess, to. Well, specifically within the context of Iweko, that you have more fiction there to actually have her do something. You have more have leeway to there, have her actually yeah. do something yeah. and have it be a positive thing. And that at least gives people a sign of her doing something. They just put the governor fiction up. Mm -hmm. And it's referenced the fact that Iweka won't appoint anyone who's already out in the Ivory Kingdoms because she's not appointing anybody, especially not Spider, she can't keep it on it. to yeah. positions of authority unless she has personally interviewed yeah. them using some combination of her divine awesomeness and Kintsuki-ness or whatever. Yeah to uh, see what kind of person they are. So you could, for example, have some sort of fiction where that concept is introduced, where some spider come in and try to sneak something past, and she actually spots them, and then, get, and then they kill them, because you, know, you tainted spider are supposed to be off dying in the, yeah. the jungles of the Ivory Kingdoms. You showed, up, no, you showed yeah. up here in my court, and now you're dead. Yeah. Well, look at the last time that happened with the, the traps that didn't go off. And, uh, yeah. But I wish that when they had wrapped up the spider thing and had them become a great clan, they had, to the extent possible, wrapped it up in such a way that would put some things to bed, and instead they wrapped it up in a way that opened up another can of yep. worms that yeah. 
has to be going on about better nails. Funny how that works. Yeah, I was just not at all a fan. Maybe my opinion will change because it's still relatively new. But as of right now, it is my second to the least favorite L5R fiction ever. That's impressive. Second to least favorite, huh? Yeah. So the obvious question we'll say, comes well, yeah, next. We'll, we'll, we'll get the dubious honor. Duh. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Bam. Oh. <laughs> slow. Well, that's how much I cared about that one. So yeah. Who's this about? About one-ninth of our fan base knows the answer already. Yes. Yes. Now everybody, everybody knows the answer yeah, okay. already. Fred, I know you're listening. You know the answer. They do not ever want to talk about that fiction either. Did you notice in the interview in the story team when they thought I was asking them about that fiction? Uh, I their eyes roll. And Sean's starting to jump to defense and I'm like, I'm not even dealing with that. That's the sort of thing that wishes that every once in a while they would come back and say like, okay, yes, this was three years ago, but we admit we screwed up. We're sorry. <laughs> or bad. Uh, but We've seen a couple of the Aftermath fictions. They've They've had, generally been pretty well received. Well, yeah, they've just... They, they just were spark, interesting, at least. They just sparked the exact same yeah. conversation that was happening before, where the people who didn't like Iweko, or who don't like Iweko, just look at it and say, like, oh, the people who are voicing the pro-Iweko positions are just are clearly just mouthpieces for the position that the story team wants us to have. Oh, no, I was talking about the, the preview ones from E. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some people yeah, are going weird. to complain still, of course, but basically the theme of all these Aftermath fictions is just boiled down to someone saying, what on yeah, earth is yeah. she doing? She's crazy. And then people are like, no, no, it actually worked out pretty okay, and here's why. Yeah, and they're still yeah, well, going to be the same well, people. See, un- unfortunately, know? it turns out that, yes, at least for now, in one way or another, all of these fictions are still about Daigatsu and the spider. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, they're better because yeah. I mean, at least they're also about they're also for real about someone else too. Was the crane one? Uh, the crane one. I'm blanking out on that one. Yes, the the crane. What's the spider. We're not special we've enough had, to have a job. We've had crab and crane and Mantis. phoenix and mantis. Yes, the the yeah. crane one. I imagine because some of the crane players were saying this, they started out by saying, "Why didn't the empress mention uh, us during Goddesses yep. Part Four? Yeah, silly crane narcissists. I guess they're not gonna everything is about you. Go try to. Supplant the Atomo or something now. That's their time jump goal. Well, we've seen the new bugs. Yeah, they keep going back <laughs> yeah. and forth between sub- subverting and absorbing. And I don't know. Yes, yeah, so we've still got five uh, five kinds up for that. But yeah, like Trevor mentioned, we did. I, I completely forgot about which, that. That actually, see, we could have talked about that in our event review or our discussion of Gen Con, but of course oh, we didn't. Yeah. Uh, the costume contest was on Saturday night at Gen Con, and the top of clan for the costume contest got the Secret Scroll fiction, which caused some consternation because no one entered as a Dragon Clan person. <laughs> yeah. And so Fred just like, no, we're not giving you the scroll. You didn't just- I told you you could borrow the kimono and the katana and all that. Uh, yes. And he would have won. And had I known that there was any purpose whatsoever, I would you, you have. You didn't just yeah. run up. Take a sharpie, throw your shirt off. You're a tattooed monk. <laughs> uh, if they, I, I had a sharpie. I, I would have. <laughs> there you go. I can draw really well. <laughs> and, and again, if if one had any idea that there was any purpose, I mean, the way I sort of compared it is like, look, if I throw on a kimono and some swords and whatnot, I'm not really entering the costume competition. That's like going to a cote with a starter deck. 
I mean, there's not any point to do that, and why would you penalize people for not showing up? Well, when you're really bad, Star Dick can still get up a clan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but this is this is as I've far got as the I'm best hair clan. Yes, as far as I'm aware, this is the only time there's ever been such a thing as top of clan at a costume I contest. So, so it, it's not like there was any reason for anyone to. But they then gave out another two copies yes, to, to the next sure. day to the top of clan from the second chance so and the main event. Out. So it was really just Fred making me twist for it was a just night, scare for a day. Yeah. Well, I don't know that scare is the right word. I, I, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so since I was top of clan for Dragon at the second chance event, I actually got one of the three scrolls. Uh, yeah, because they did top of clan based on the Swiss results. When we talk about the cut system, I think top of clan really wants to be top of clan after Swiss then, or more so wants to be top of clan after Swiss. It's arbitrary. Well, it, it, that at least, the guy who, you know, does better in Swiss and then gets knocked out in what is going to be a best of one. <laughs> but they're both five and twos, and it's completely arbitrary. Yeah. Mm. A lot of people like those. A lot of those were pretty daring, too. The Mantis one, uh, I thought was interesting. You don't see a lot of that. In, uh... I see a lot of that, but Still not, not in the setting. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry, not in your role as an EM, not in your, your former job as an EMT or whatever? Uh, sure, we can go with that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, but you had the woman who, yeah, baby is stillborn, husband dies, it goes kind of crazy, yeah. and then a year later, the Naga or whatever it is comes back to the water. Here's your baby. It's alive. And, yeah, but I think most of the fictions people have liked. The Crab one was another Cost of War story. Some of them have had insight into what's... I'd admit I liked the Lion one, but I refused to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can admit that you liked it because it kicked off with the Lion Clan champion getting killed. Well, that was fine, but... Well, actually, although we all (laughs) found out about that from the Unicorn unicorn story, which then sparked several pages of Lion players complaining about the character that they had never heard of before dying. Dying. As opposed to seeing the two new characters that actually somewhat coolly developed, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, we learned that Chagatai's son is now the Shogun, but is not the Khan. No. And is not the Unicorn Clan champion. I think we had all kind well, of assumed... Well, he made it all right in the deal, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I guess we had all kind of assumed, oh, at least the Khan is yeah. still going to be Chagatai's kid. No. Shono's daughter is the Khan and just killed the Lion Clan champion. Champion X. Yeah, who was the eldest of Shigatoshi's kids. Yes, I, I guess. The dragon fiction was just one of these oh, like the monks are weird set pieces. It was yep. just it was monks are weird story pretty much. It was a good one. And the Phoenix one had Tsukimi losing the war for the Phoenix, right? And then getting superpowers. And losing yes. her eyes. Yes. But she doesn't care because she has superpowers. The spider one I liked a lot too. Isn't that how the Matrix ended? Too? Old man Tetsuo yes. telling a little story. Yes. Back in my day. Well, yes. The what was? Whoa. Yeah, the, the Spider One, which some people who don't know how to don't understand hyperbole. Uh, yeah. yeah, because in the story, as told by Tetsuo, it ends with Matsu Goemon coming down to fight Michio. Michio kills the Fortune of Heroes. Godzilla style, probably uh, flames and. And then, of course, because he has no challenges left in life. Passes on. Just, yeah. you know, Let's gives up die. the ghost. My yes. work here is done. So, of course, the other thing that happened at Dijankon, as we mentioned, it was they had the 5-2 the cut system. I believe when we talked about this before in preview, Didn't everyone who... 
Okay, Trevor says that he is indifferent to the cut system, and now Kevin's going to be in. So, Mike's if I swap. recall, I don't remember who else was here, but when we talked about the 5-2 system, I think I think that they should expand the cut a little bit, but not go to the 5-2 system, and everyone else on the podcast who was there that day thought they should go to 5-2s, because you well, all want it ambivalent. to I be mean, easier to get into the cut. I mean, that just seemed... I mean, if your goal is to get everyone who makes it 5-2 into the cut, that just seems the easiest way to go about it. Well, yes, if your goal is to have every 5-2 be in the cut, the easiest way is to just <laughs> literally put every 5-2 in the cut. That's correct. Right. But it's, is that... Why should that be your goal? I, I guess the thing, but... Okay, so we've, we've actually... Some of us have actually played in a tournament that had it. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts about it now? I liked it. I, I liked it before I saw it, and I liked it after I saw it. It was exactly what I expected it to be, and I was happy with it. Yes. Justin? I guess you have nothing... No, to- I mean, I... I, I'm mostly ambivalent about it. I don't care too much just because you're, you've just got to find some balance point somewhere between the most skilled guy in the tournament wins and have people who are not the most skilled guy in the tournament actually want to compete. You know. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think you even need to go into whether or not it's, it's skilled or not. It's who did the best or not in the tournament. I mean, right. you can have somebody who's skilled and unlucky. I, that's one of the things that I've heard. Like, I still think the reason to go to a 5-2 system is because more people want to make the cut. Yeah, That totally. is the only reason to go to a 5-2 system. I know there are people who go online and talk about how strength of schedule is meaningless. How tiebreakers are bad They stuff, don't know yeah. what they're talking about because every single reason that they give for why strength of schedule is meaningless is true of winning and using your own games as well. Like, yeah. It can be as a result of bad matchups. It can be as the result of an unlucky draw well, or an overly lucky draw. My, it, my main problem with strength of schedule is, is just that it's really, really highly dependent on the first two rounds where everything is very, no, very it's random. It's not? No. That's another misconception. It is very, very highly dependent on when you lose. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but if it's highly dependent on when you lose I mean, your it, game. If you, if you lose in the first two rounds, then your strength of schedule inevitably suffers because of it. Yes, it And does. even if you get a 5-2 and two record and you felt like you played against and you played against hard opponents, you arbitrarily kind of miss the cut. It feels arbitrary, okay? Okay. I'm it, not yeah. saying it's... Ne- yeah. I, I know there's a reason to the madness, but yeah. it, it feels well, arbitrary. Yeah, the you reason... lose your first two games to Case and Ornatov... Well, that helps you, actually, yeah, if you're going to lose your first two saying. games. It the helps. reason, the, re- the overwhelming factor in your strength of schedule is probably going to be, the, I mean, it is when you take your first loss especially, but it is when you lose your games because you aren't playing people that are, are uh, tough or not. You're not playing people who are doing well in the tournament. When right. you take your losses early, uh, you're just not. I mean, if you think you I mean, are, as, you're probably wrong. As the as the tournament goes on, and and you know you get into the Swiss pairings, you generally tend to face tougher opponents. But during those first one or two rounds, your opponents are kind of random. Well, it, yes, but that's my. That's the point. Who cares that your opponents are random in the first rounds? People who don't make the cut. I mean, there's a limit uh, to I how mean, many good players for your strength of schedule are going to be wandering around the tournament. It's if just, you, I mean, if you lose early on, could be luck or not, whether or not you, yeah, run into chump number one or case in round one. But the fact remains that if you lose in round one, your opponents are easier for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, and that's not something you really have a lot of control over. 
well, but it's still something you can take advantage your, your of. Your control over is win your games, and there's a lot of things that you don't have control over, but your it, it is a, a totally legitimate, like, whose 5-2 was more significant? Did you run over a bunch of speed bumps in the, the O2 bracket, or did you, I mean, if you have, I'm surely you have played in tournaments where you have gone, you know, you won your first four games versus tournaments where you went 2-2 to start, and it is much, much harder when you win your games early. You are playing against people who are doing better than, than when you're... I don't know if even that is entirely true. I've, I've had tournaments where I've done really well, and I felt like some of the opponents that I played up against were, were not so great. And I've had to- tournaments where I've done badly in the first two rounds and ended up having to play some fairly tough opponents in my, 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 my last five rounds. In your last five or your last two? My last, let's say last three or four, actually. I mean, well, see, like, if you're one-two... So your fourth of the last round would be when you're like one two. I have a hard time believing you're playing somebody who's that tough when you're one two. I, I mean, yeah, it can happen theoretically. Yeah, Ornatov can lose to right to kick off and then go. But, but probably I mean, you just not. know Ornatov's a good player. But uh, I, I mean, he, he's going one and two. And and that you know? and again, all of that strength of schedule all comes down to entirely to how things went at the tournament. And and again. You just want more people to get in the five two. You want it to be easier for you to get in, into the cut. I do. So I, I freely admit that I I, so, I, I I want. I mean, I want more people in the cut in general because players feel better about it, and that that's really kind of the the whole crux of this issue. That's the main selling point. Oh yeah, that is the selling point. Is that yeah? Pe- people don't like missing the guy who's yeah. the hopefully the guy who's the top four three in a five two cut game does not start whining about he how he missed the cut because then things need to be thrown at him. Yeah. yeah. I, I will throw right. I mean, I will <laughs> that's, that's what it really comes down to is it's a lot easier not just not making the cut to say, oh, you're 4-3, the 5-2s make the cut, versus, yes, you're 5-2, but your strength of schedule is a percentage point worse than this other 5-2. The, the flip side see. is that you are, you're obviously devaluing the concept of making the cut I don't know how much that matters. You are making tournaments longer by an indeterminate amount for a lot of Cote, like for the Atlanta or the South Carolina Cote, the ones you go to, those tournaments would be two rounds longer in the Elims by switching to... Because once you hit... Kevin's giving me a puzzle. Once you hit like 70 or so players, usually you're probably going to have like 17 people who are five two? Who are who are five twos? Yeah. Especially since if you're like the four one, like if you're the five one guy who gets paired down against the player who's four two, there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on you to scoop to him to make because like oh, you're yeah. getting in no matter what. Because right now numbers that you have top eights are sometimes going to end up being you have seventeen, and once you hit seventeen people, now. The, literally the top, what, 15, if you're doing that, have to sit, Take a break, yeah. Have to yeah. sit around and, I mean, I guess you, they actually get a dinner break is, is how you do it, but, and, you know, 16 and 17 just don't. Uh, but the other thing is, if you like, 
Elim rounds to be best two out of three, it makes it much less likely for Elim I rounds to be not, unless best you're running two a two out of three tournament. I would not so, do yeah. two out of three Elim rounds. But most places in the U.S. that run one day tournaments don't do two out of three Elim, Elim rounds. Yes, they do. Uh, there hasn't been at any of the tournaments I've been to. Did do you not, not play at the Atlanta Cote this year? Oh, I didn't. I wasn't there for the Elim rounds. Okay, <laughs> so I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, everything was best of three. It, all was, the way it, was, it was. It was. It was yeah. best of one in Florida and best of one in. But New that's. York. I mean, if you're if you're talking about the tournaments, one of the things about having so many best of ones is that oh yeah, the guy who that that guy who went 0-2 and then knocked off five wins, or who went two two and then and managed to to knock off three. Yeah, he gets into the the cut, but now you've it introduced more randomness in there now because you know that that uh, more more elim rounds that are best of one means more random chances for people to get told screwed or gold knocked out. Or, uh, I, I don't if know. If you're doing if you're doing best of one elim rounds, anyways, it's better to have more elim rounds if what you care about is having a skilled player winning the tournament because a non-skilled player is going to have a lower probability of winning the single events, the single rounds, and they have to get through that many single rounds to get to the top. I don't see how adding more players to the cut makes it more skilled people get through more often. I mean, you are adding more rounds, but these people just wouldn't make it at all if you were adding more, you know. Well, it, it depends. If you assume that the average does not change as you add people, then yes. But I think that that I mean it's I think that's it's the complicated. Kevin is making that you two are not is that yeah, the average I, skill of the players involved is you, remaining I mean, yeah, constant. B- better players are still going to win more than players who aren't as good. Yeah. I mean they they are, but and it, and it's certainly it's not a situation of oh the guy who's at the bottom of the five two is terrible and has no chance of winning. That's clearly also not true. I mean that's why we have the notion of the Swiss curse even in the current system where. You know the yeah. guy who went undefeated in Swift then proceeded to to lose to 16th place. Yeah, to lose to yeah to 16th. But the cut size is going to go up no matter what. I don't think there's any way. Nicola clearly likes bigger cuts more, which is not surprising. Most players like bigger cuts more. If the cut size is going up, then I I, I, just, I mean obviously we'd have to see the exact numbers, but I think I would be more fond of just make the cuts bigger and not bother with yeah. the five two cuts. Cut the top 16 at. 70 players or 65 players or, or whatever the number it is that you want to, to pick instead of I yeah I've had some 5-2 cotes where I've been the 1-2 or 2-2 guy and scrub my way up through wussy people up to 5-2 sometimes I make the cut and sometimes I don't make the cut and I guess that I if I'm a lower level 5-2 I don't feel like I got hosed that I didn't make the cut. I mean, I don't feel hosed if I go 0-2 and then win 5 and I don't make it. There were some accusations that, oh, people who want the smaller cut are just elitists who don't want to give more people the chance to get in. Well, there... I'll get into more cuts if I go to a 5-2, but I still don't think that, yeah. that we should change to that. Of course, having said that, I'm going to go 4-3 at every single tournament I play in for the next year. Of course. Uh, so remember, whoever the donates curse. the most money can pick which clan Chris plays at his next big tournament. <laughs> so he will probably be going 4-3 with Scorpion. Whenever you go 4-3 at a tournament now, instead of calling it the Swiss curse, I'm going to call it the Chris curse. Yeah. 
I don't know. I guess I actually like the 5-2 idea less now than I did before. I'm kind of in the same boat. And the reason for me is purely an emotional one is that I am tired of people who support the 5-2 whining and pretending that it's for some reason other than because they want it to be easier to make the cut. I, I mean, just, at least Kevin and you guys who like the 5-2 have admitted, like, oh, yes, we just want more people to ma- be able to make the cut. Yeah. The current system is totally fair. It's not unfair. People act like it's unfair or something. And Again, to me, the only th- unfairness I see is 8th versus ninth. Same, it comes down to the die roll and DCI reporter. Well, okay. That seems kind of lame. Yeah, if you are not aware, because in L5R there is only one game per match in Swiss, and DCI Reporter has th- three tiebreakers, two of which don't map. And if your opponent's match win percentage, your strength of schedule is tied with someone else, DCI Reporter determines who finishes ahead by which person got entered into the tournament first that day. So, so register early for your tournament. Show up early. Yeah. yeah. Well, what? No, it's it's make sure you're paying attention because I don't. If a TO is aware of that and they actually have two people who have identical strength of schedule, you should have you roll dice or something. And playoff. I, well, or... uh, well, the, a playoff is ideal, except it's now making the the tournament last longer. Yeah. But a die roll, a die roll is at least is fair and doesn't take up time. Yeah. But if you actually go with the oh, I entered your name into the computer first, therefore you go on. If your TO does that, your TO's a jerk yes. or something. I, I mean, that's... And that's part of the thing I have against the 5 and 2 cut is just so many Cotes already wrap up at like 2 in the morning. Do you want to yeah. add, you know, the extra play-in round and some honor deck ends up playing against a dishonor deck? You're going to run the extra play-in round as a strict 45-minute... It's, it's going to be a normal round. Like, everything... Uh, but what happens if you actually do the, end up with a game that's pretty stalemated? And you do what that's you always do limit. for those games. That's what you, yes, you have a time Here, limit. Here's they, a die. They roll the die. Figure it out. And you One just of them concedes, the, or they take a double loss. And so you just take a double loss and end up with a hole in the top 16 bracket? I'm okay with that. Yes. 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 If, if they can't agree on... That'll, yeah. That'll I mean, I happen. understand that, but then you could end up with, like, first place guy playing against 16th and some, like, 7th place guy gets a buy into the top 8, you know? That could also happen if whoever wins that game, I mean, somebody could just scoop the top. You can get yeah. paired up against that your... never happens. You, you can get paired up against your buddy who already won a Kote. Yeah. I, Come on, Chris, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Not in L5R land. No! So I don't think that's a... I think that's already the case. I mean, if you're running Elim rounds with time limits, which you do, I mean, which you can, I mean, I guess you can be like, no, we are going to, if you're still in the first game, you get to play forever. But usually, other than the finals, people still put a time limit. It's just usually like an hour and a half time limit for two out of three. So it's almost always the case that one of the games finished and then that person just wins. Yeah. Okay, that's enough about 5-2. Actually, that's enough about basically everything. Hooray! Done with everything. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is a Strange Assembly review of Ninja Legend of the Scorpion Clan from Alderac Entertainment Group. 
With me here today are Jay Earl. I'm a ninja. Justin Purdy. Hi, everyone. And Kevin Kennedy. Say so, a ninja. Is that also I am a ninja? Yes, yes, it, is. yes it is. Okay. Except he speaks like 200-year-old samurai. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ninja is, as they label it, a strategy game of hidden movement designed by Frederick Moyerson. In Ninja, you have two sides, the guards and the intruders. The intruders are a ninja and a traitor. The guards are samurai. And, and the intruders are trying to accomplish a couple of objectives, which vary from game to game. The guards are trying to stop them from completing the objectives or just kill them before or after they complete the objectives. The game is set in AEG's Legend of the Five Rings universe, and the ninja or scorpion clan and the guard samurai or lion clan, but if it you know... It's knowledge at all. It, yeah. yeah, it's fluff. If you know nothing about L5R, it will in no way, shape, or form affect whether or not you enjoy the game. It is a hidden movement game. The guards are mostly out on the board, although there are a couple of hidden ones. The ninja and the trader are generally not on the board. Each turn, the ninja and the trader do secret movement on their personal pad of paper, and then the guards can try to listen around to see if they heard anything, possibly with clues from the actions of the intruders, such as they searched for something or they killed one of your guards, that sort of thing. Each side gets its own specialized little deck of cards. The guards get to do things like search and listen. The ninja gets to do things like throw a shuriken at people. I think the ninja things are much cooler than the guard things. Ropes. Uh, my favorite is the potent Saki. Yes. Get the other guards strong. Yeah. And that's one of the traitor cards. Yes. Anytime that there is one guy on one side and you know 15 on another, the one guy is usually going to do more awesome cooler. Stuff. The traitor and the ninja each have their own objective. The intruders win if both of those objectives are completed and both the ninja and the traitor get out of there. And the guards win if they kill both the traitor and the ninja. It doesn't actually matter if they completed their missions or not. Or if the timer runs up. When it's a draw, if one of them gets off. And then, yeah, there's a 20-turn timer on the game. The ninja and the traitor can't just lollygag around, hiding yeah. over somewhere in the corner of the board all game, and then get a draw. They, they lose if they try that. The game comes with three thick pads for your private maps. It comes with four different stands, or I guess four different screens to for people to, to hide behind. Well, you can play it as two-player guards versus intruders, three-player where one player is all the guards, one player is the ninja, and one player is the traitor, and those guys work together. You can also play at four players where the guards are split between two different players, but it plays more naturally, I think, at two or three. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why it plays more naturally at, at two or three is because when you're two, it's one side versus the other. Perfect. Uh, three, the traitor and the ninja cards are inherently separate. The Ninja can't play the trader cards, and the trader can't play the ninja cards. So that's not a big a deal. When you try to push it to four players, the guards have to split up their cards between the two different types of guards. 
and that become kind of a uh, a forced division in the cards, and it doesn't work out very well. It's, it's kind of aggravating. You end up with some guards wandering around, and they find the ninja, and then they can't do anything about him because all the cards to hurt the ninja are in the other guy's hand. Well, that could happen even in a two-player game. Even if you find the ninja yeah. or the traitor, you have specific cards called Kenjutsu, which is just using a sword to deal wounds. It takes three to kill the ninja. It takes two to kill the traitor. And if you have played enough of those and they haven't cycled back in your deck and you haven't drawn them back up again yet, you wouldn't be able to. And so that could happen even in a, a two- or three-player game. But Jay and I, in, the, in one of the games that we played, we were playing the guards in a four-player game, and at the start of the turn, you draw more cards if there's a higher alert level, and you have to divvy up who gets the card draws. And I kept grabbing off the top of my deck, and I'm like, here, Jay, you take two, and I'll take one. And Jay that's not how that works. No. I have my own deck. Stop trying to give me your cards. Yeah. Uh, I don't want your cards. Your cards are bad. Yeah, it came up every once in a while if, you were playing a two-player game, you just have a larger stash in your hand of a certain type of card, like Patrol Search, but there actually was one point in the game where I had a guy I would have liked to have moved, but I didn't have a Sentry Search card anymore, so I couldn't just move my Sentry, or... And Jay may have had a Sentry Search card, but it was my guard, so he couldn't do anything with it. So, I don't think it's a big problem to play with four players. It just doesn't flow doesn't as naturally. Well, yeah. it, and it's a slight impediment to the guard side, because even if yeah. you cooperate perfectly every once in a while, you are going to have situations where the movement card for the piece that you want is in the, the hand of the wrong player. Yeah. Uh, but what did you think about the game overall, Jay? I enjoyed it. I just think you, you do have run into problems of since the the infiltrators are hidden movement of just keeping track of them. Yeah, you run into the mystery of the Abbey problem, which doesn't make any sense to anybody but me, but basically... <laughs> well, that, you, that's a game. Yeah. Right? Mystery of the Abbey. You're writing a bunch of notes on paper, and if you make a mistake while writing down the notes, and this is a particular problem for that particular game, then everything gets messed up. Uh, right, and unlike other games where you can make a mistake and you can quickly figure it out, it might be much later in the game before you realize the mistake was made, at which point it's very difficult to correct it. Yeah, we did have one game where yeah, someone messed up, where the intruders thought that they had searched in a specific square already, and the guards thought that they didn't, and both sides had been writing notes on their little private pads and about who had searched well, and the notes just disagreed. And there's just no way to figure out at what who point who miscommunicated yeah. or misheard in, in what way. So, I mean, that can come up. I think you can sort of play the game in two ways. On the box, it says you can play it in 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. If you're being very, very casual about it, perhaps you could play it in 45 minutes. But probably not. No. And that's even without getting into the possibility of analysis paralysis because any time you have you know hidden movement with a lot of choices yeah i wouldn't yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't play this with a friend who has serious ap problems yeah but usually estimates on box i think are reasonably accurate not you cannot one. play this in 45 minutes if you're serious about it if you're being serious and figuring out exactly 
what squares he could possibly be in based on where you saw him last and how far you know he's moved. And you're probably taking double that 45 minutes, talking like an hour and a half. At least. I think an hour and a half is yeah, fair. Yeah, I don't, right. I don't think it well, should take more than an hour and a half if, once you know it well. Especially if the infiltrator is like, okay, this is where I am. Where can I safely go? Yeah. At the same time that you're trying to I hunt find him out. That at least as the infiltrator side, I was pretty easily able to take kind of plan out my turn while the guards were doing their thing. I found when I was on the guard side, I was having to pay a whole lot more attention to stuff and it was taking a lot of time. Yeah, the guard side is side is much more Reactive. deductive. Yeah. Well it's also much more deductive reasoning heavy. Uh, you've got a lot of time to, to figure out complete information. The, the guard. Which is why I think a lot of players find it harder to play the guards. I think honestly I think the two sides turned out to be balanced, but the, I think the guard's learning curve is a little bit steeper. I really enjoyed yeah. playing the guard, but there's more work, I think. Yeah, I felt like there was more discussion. Jay and I had games where we were both the guards in game, where we were the, the intruders, and I think we had to yeah, chat and coordinate more about, the, about what we were doing, what we were doing with I that. Mean, there yeah. were times when I was the ninja and I was planning things out two or three moves in advance obviously if something came up I would change my mind but as a guard you, you can't, you can't plan that. that far ahead it's just impossible well again because it's reactive because yeah. you you well you're, you're drawing cards really make... out of your deck which I mean it does make a big difference if you draw a bunch of listen cards and all of a sudden you get some new piece of information you didn't have before everything changes one of the things I did like about playing the ninjas I did often find myself in situations where I could make, I had to make like a 50-50 decision, like a chance decision, a risky decision. And so it kind of brought, brings out that, that risk-taking side in you. And if you're not somebody who likes to take risks, then playing the ninja side of the game probably isn't going to be as enjoyable for you. Well, I think both sides are going to end up taking risks like that. The ninja and the trader, you have to decide where you're going to search and then whether or not the guards are going to find you, and as the guards, you have to try to correctly suss out where they are. And there are, there are times, there are rare times when you can you know, specifically pin the ninja down to one space, probably at the end of your turn after you've already taken all your actions and can't do anything <laughs> about it. But it's not uh, at all uncommon to be in a situation where you're like, I know the ninja's in one of these three or four spots. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to move this sentry and see what happens. And the, nin the ninja has... I guess margin for error in that this is a game. It, it's not a game where if you get detected, you lose. Yeah, I mean, you. Just, uh, I mean, even if you get killed the first time, if it's before round ten, you don't exactly lose either. Yeah, the the game ends after twenty turns, and I, I think the basic idea is that if one of the intruders gets caught and killed right away, if that was it, then the game would you know that the game would be right. over at that point. The the one remaining intruder isn't going to spend want to spend the next ten turns playing out for a draw. draw. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if in the early stages of the game the ninja or the trader dies, then they come back with a reduced set of of cards because the the ninja and the trader only get X cards. Period. Yeah. If you're the ninja, you get eight cards to play. You get to choose eight out of the twelve in your little ninja deck, and those are, you get eight card plays for the entire game. If you die when you come back, you get six. Uh, I believe, and the if trader has like seven and five. So if you die early on, then you can come back with a reduced hand size and 
the guard player does get a little bonus for doing that. So yeah, you still often don't want to die. Although we did have some sort of strategic decisions like, it's turn nine, I'm in a bad spot, is there any way I can get them to kill me off? Yeah. <laughs> so that I can respawn instead of waiting until turn 11 where I just lose the game. But I found it was a whole lot of fun. It's, as you said, it's not, it's not something I don't think you can just play casually, just invite people over who are like, don't have any idea, don't play much board games, and play a quickie game of ninja with them it is not a starter game you know i I bring dominion to family gatherings i play thunderstone with some of the people in my family i i would not take ninja and be like hey random yeah family member slash ninja you you play it with other board game players i I use settlers of Catan to introduce my friends to board games not ninja not ninja but i I mean it's not intended to be such a game so and I, I they also have um, PDFs you can get online that have additional maps, don't they? Yes, it's the private map that the ninja oh, okay. and the guards run it because you have to go through two every game. I can, yeah. I can imagine that they could easily put out expansions for this game with new maps. Sure. Yeah. Boards. I would be surprised if they put out and it, it's. There, I mean, there are some games that have obvious expandability, but it would drastically change the game to. I guess you could have a new board, but to have yeah, different that's cards in, or basically not, not, not necessarily different cards. Just well, you got to put boards. more than a board. Well, in the game what I'm thinking is, maybe. what yeah. I'm thinking about this is the way the map is laid out. It's essentially a keep with moats, and there's two buildings essentially, and you have ropes to get over the walls and a secret passage to get in. There might be an expansion where instead of it being two keeps and ropes getting over walls is a big deal, you might be inside one really, really huge keep, and maybe instead of ropes, you're using secret doors to get from one place to another. I think at that point, you're getting to something that's more of a just separate standalone game that you would be putting the same... Moniker on. Yeah. You might have different rules for... I guess you could still have the same rules for how guards work generally, but, but switching the cards up would substantially, I think, change how the the gameplay the game works i don't know but i think components wise we didn't mention let's see you do have you have six really big thick missions for the cardboard you shuffle those up at random and pull one out that's the figures are pretty good yeah Yeah, yeah, there are i love the box organizer honestly yes everything actually fits in the box very easily yeah usually there's there's some sort of component that has some issue going back into some not here. Slot or not here. You get what eighteen or twenty figs for the guards, the ninja, the intruder, several drunken guard uh, figs drunken for guards. in the. And of course, we haven't even mentioned uh, the it's a cat cards, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are cards that the trader can play to say it's a cat. Oh, my only quibble about the opponents, and this is really really minor, and just something that bothers me personally, is that. There, there, you have two sets of cards for the trader and the ninja, and the trader is black, red, excuse me, and it is black, and the trader cards have a red scorpion mon on them, and the, I have a black scorpion mon on them, and the ninja cards have a red scorpion mon on them. And the first time I played the game, I really wanted those to match. Yes, although it, 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 is, the- it is worth noting that the ninja cards are a red scorpion mon on a black card for your black ninja. So it's 
not. I mean, you're 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 disliking you're that it, it doesn't I, I, match I, I, the uh, color of the mon, but it matches the color of the car. Yeah. I mean, so I guess I, I am looking at the wrong thing, mm. but like I said, it's a minor quibble. Okay, so I think uh, the rule book is mostly pretty easy to follow, which was I really good. We didn't have too many rules questions or. There were some questions with the rope. By the time we got done with the rules, we were able to figure out that you can bluff with the rope card. Like, you can play it even when you're not climbing over a wall, but it doesn't do anything. But you had to read several different chunks of the rules, I, I think, for it to be clear that, that, that you, you really only... It doesn't specifically there, say the rope... You have to be next to the wall that you're playing the rope on. Yeah, I mean, thematically, yeah. that's what makes was, sense, but actually, it doesn't actually my, say that. The rules are my least favorite part of this game. Really, I, I, I really actually I love almost everything else about this game. I, mm. I'm a really big fan, um, but I felt like there were a lot of places where the rules lacked clarity, and that you had to really infer specific things from the rules that weren't exactly clear. Well, I didn't think they were too bad in that respect myself. Yeah, I didn't. I think well, I, th I thought by the time we were done, I think we only had one question about how the card actually works, which we'll have to go on the AEG forums and ask. So that is Ninja Legend of the Scorpion Clan, a game of hidden movement from Alderac Entertainment Group. I liked it a lot. It was good. Hooray! Okay, then. You've been listening to Strange Assembly for more game reviews and more about the world of Legend of the Five Rings. You can find us at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or through our website. You can contact me at chris at strangeassembly.com with any comments or questions you may have. You can also follow the updates on our website by following Strange Assembly on Twitter or liking us or friending us or whatever it is that you do these days on Facebook for... Jay Earl, Kevin Kennedy, and Justin Purdy. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Squeak. You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can download more episodes of Strange Assembly on iTunes or from our website at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're at our website, you can check out the frequently updated main page, or talk with us on the forums. You can also email me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com, or you can follow Strange Assembly on Facebook or Twitter, Strange Assembly either place. Thanks for listening.